0: morning Church morning. So, uh, This morning we have three readings <coughs> from a three Bible book The first one is from 1 John 3, 4 1 John 3, 4 says Everyone who sins breaks the law In fact, sin is lawlessness but you know, that's, that's it. It's only one. And then the second one is from Romans 10, chapter 4, or verses 4 to 11. Is that it? <coughs> Okay. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses described in, his, in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word in faith. We are proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And the last one is from Ephesians 5, 1-2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live in life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave him gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God.
1: Thanks, Asie. Uh As uh, not per usual, we're going uh, through various bits and pieces in the Bible as we touch on the topic of uh, why there's so many rules. Uh, we are doing a series currently on... Uh, reasons for God, and today yeah, we're touching on the, the topic of well, why does there seem to be so many rules in Christianity or the objection that some people in the world might have about, well, h- how can you, Christians, uh, tell me how to live? So, thanks, Assi, for uh, reading those sessions of the Bible. We'll be touching on how, what the Bible might uh, have in response to those thoughts and objections. So I'm going to pray and uh, we'll spend some time looking at this topic together. Gracious Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for the great wisdom that you provide for us in and through Jesus and the good news about him. Please be with us now as we reflect on uh, how it is uh, that we might not only live as your people, but uh, give reason for the hope that we have, particularly in the light of uh, how the world might perceive us. As uh, and Christianity as being all about rules. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I was chatting with someone uh, the other day who's in the building industry and uh, he was reflecting on just how many rules there are for him to follow. Uh, rules that are sometimes uh, time-consuming and nitpicky and uh, sometimes just impossible to get them all right. Uh, and I'm sure he's not alone in how that uh, might get him down. Anyone who's worked in any government sector, I'm sure, could appreciate the burden of rules. Maybe appreciate's the wrong word. Maybe uh, uh, begrudge. You know, begrudge, that might be a better word to describe rules and regulations. Uh, you know, what do, what do we call them? It's red tape, right? It's the, it's the hoops that we need to jump through. Uh, whenever you've subscribed to a new app or service or bought a new piece of tech, who reads the terms and conditions before they tick off but nobody does, do they? (laughs) Uh, Because no one likes rules and regulations. No one likes rules and conditions, and yet we're surrounded by them. It's not just at work uh, and in what we buy, but it's in our our fun and in our relationships. Uh, There's one set, set of rules at work, another set of rules at home, one set of rules for your family, another set of rules with your friends and your mates, and yet a different set of rules with strangers. And, and the rules in all those spaces, they keep changing. Uh, and sometimes they're even unspoken, you know, like not standing right next to the uh, another guy at a public urinal, uh, if you can help it, you know. <laughs> it's just an unspoken rule. Rules, rules, rules. It can be quite over, overwhelming and even depressing. And I suspect a lot of people's idea of happiness, whether, on, whether that's at work or in a public restroom, um, it... It's to be in a place where you're not constrained by so many rules, where there aren't rules. A place where you can just be yourself and do whatever you want to do, right? That sounds like heaven, yeah? Uh, which might be why it's a little bit off-putting for people when they come to Christianity. Which promises heaven, but only if they follow a whole bunch of extra rules. And often rules that seem to be irrelevant, uh, outdated, and just plain bad. So what's the deal? What's the deal with Christianity and all its rules? Is Christianity just another bunch of rules to lock us down, just another set of requirements to constrain our freedom and to stop us being who we are and deciding what's right and wrong for ourselves? Well, to give something of an answer to that question, we're going to touch on two things. So the first thing is uh, the nature of freedom and then uh, secondly, the rule of love. So that's where we're going. Looking at the nature of freedom and then the rule of love. So, first, the nature of freedom. Uh, just over a week ago, the uh, victorious Spanish women's soccer team returned home to much funfair, and in the celebration, the, Spanish, uh, the president of the Spanish Football Association, Luis uh, R- uh he kissed the winning striker, uh, Jennifer Hermoso, on the mouth. Now, she said she didn't like it. Uh, he said he w- it was just innocent and consensual. It looks like she had little choice but to go with it, uh, but not wanting to make a big deal of it. She actually later said that it was you know, well, you know, just a natural gesture of affection. Uh, a video has actually arisen of the team joking around afterwards with Jennifer laughing at, a social media, at the social media ne- memes that were generated from this kiss. Meanwhile, Louis himself has been suspended and there's been a mounting support of uh, against sexism in sport. It's just taken off. It's blown out. Uh, it doesn't matter... Uh, how excited you might be in the moment, or how innocent you might think you are, there's just some rules you shouldn't break. Louis just can't do whatever he wants, Uh, even if it's being true to himself, and even if it's being true to the moment. Uh, Even if he claims that there was nothing sinister in the kiss, and if he claims it was in the spirit of celebration, he's clearly not free to do whatever he thinks is right and good. And yet, isn't that often what we're told freedom is? We're free to do whatever we want, as long as you're not hurting anyone else, right? You're free to do whatever you want, as long as you're not hurting anyone else. But how do we know if we're not hurting anyone? (laughs) Uh, Louis didn't think he was hurting anyone. The person who says they're free to take drugs and that they're not hurting anyone else, they're naive, at best. What about their family? Or the society that supports the the medical system when they have health-related issues? Uh, The person who says they're free to fall in love or out of love with whoever they want. That's always going to hurt someone, right? Broken hearts, anyone? Isolated kids, sidelined families? We just don't know how we might hurt someone in choosing what we think is right and good for ourselves. So we need to be humble. We need to be humble in thinking about our ability to know what is right and wrong and the implications of our choices. We need to be humble in exercising our freedom, because clearly the idea of freedom, it's its not simple, it's complex. And complex not just because we don't know who we're going to hurt by doing whatever we think is right and good. Uh, for example, someone who's got a bit of a talent for, or a desire, and a desire, for playing the guitar, they'll give up their freedom to do other things to practice and practice the guitar, right? They'll give up one freedom so that they might tap into a richer kind of freedom and that's the ability to play the guitar well. But even the desire and the practice doesn't mean that we can just do whatever we want. You know, So for instance, a 45 kilogram man will never win a boxing match in a heavyweight division. It's just never going to happen. And no matter how much he might want to, no matter how hard he trains, he won't be allowed to enter that division. And even if he is allowed, he's going to get crushed, possibly killed, and then those who let him enter, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be rightly judged as being negligent, right? Nature, biology, physicality mean we can't just do whatever we want. That there's a limit to our freedom. True freedom, then, it's constrained freedom. Constrained by humility... We don't, we just don't know how we might hurt others with our choices. Constrained by the choices that we make, uh, we have to give up some things in order to do other things more freely. Constrained by our nature, we just can't physically do some things. And this is the case in many areas of life, this constraint of our freedoms, from work to education to play to sport. Uh, as the uh, Christian writer Tim Keller says, Freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones, the liberating restrictions. And if this is the case in work, in education, in sport and play, why wouldn't it also be the case in spiritual and moral things? You know, that true moral freedom is to be found not in the absence of restrictions, but in finding the right ones, ones that promise true human flourishing. True moral and spiritual freedom, then, has rules. It just does. But whose rules are the best? In uh, the Reason for God discussion course that uh, we're basing this current series on, uh, one of the participants in that course uh, said something very perceptive. She said this, I feel that everyone has rules, and I believe that whether your parents give them to you, or a pastor, or a priest, or a teacher, or a babysitter, or a brother, or a sister, or an employer, everybody will give you rules, but it doesn't matter. The, the only way that you will follow those rules is if you respect the person that is giving them to you. The best rules are surely from the one you trust the most, the one who's most trustworthy. Trustworthy. So who's the most trustworthy person that you know? Who do you know the best uh, that you could always trust them to tell you what is right and what was wrong for your life? Uh, many actually say it's themselves. Well, I'm the best person to make a call on that. But as we've already touched on, uh, we can't know the harm we might cause others by the choices that we make because we can't know everything. So to enjoy true freedom, then, is in part to exercise humility about how much we can know, to at least admit the possibility that we don't know what's right and what's wrong for our lives, and perhaps to admit that we can't know, and that this is not only a part of our limitations, but it's a part of our innate brokenness. Uh, As we read, read from the Bible earlier, everyone who sins breaks the law in fact sin is lawlessness now the law that uh, the bible is talking about there is in reference to god's law and so sin is not so much about uh, living by no laws at all just laws that are not god's law it's to live like an outlaw you know like we're above the law above god's law like we know what's best for us in our life like the rules and laws that we decide that they are the best laws but that's that's not very humble And as we've seen, humility is essential for knowing true freedom. So according to the Bible, true freedom can't actually be found in living by our own rules. In being an outlaw. To live by our own rules then, to make it so that we decide what is right and wrong for ourselves, is actually to deny ourselves true freedom. So where do we find true freedom? Put simply, it's to be found in God's love. That's where. Which brings us to uh, our second point. The rule of love. Uh, God's demonstrated he can be trusted. He's demonstrated this in his love towards humanity. A love that's seen perfectly in and through Jesus Christ. Uh, as the Bible says. In 1 John. And a second in 1 John. This is how God showed, us, uh, showed his love among us. Uh, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I reckon in talking to people about Jesus and about our hope in Jesus and how to talk about then the rules in Christianity, it's worth Christians knowing these verses off by heart. Because it's pretty clear here why God can be trusted. And then why his rules can be trusted too. It's because God loves the world. He sent his one and only son, as the man Jesus Christ, into the world. Where he suffered and died as an atoning sacrifice. That is, as the one who brings the two who are at odds together. You know, Us and God. Jesus suffered and died on that cross for our sin, for our lawlessness, for living like we know what's right and wrong. So that we might be forgiven and made one with God. Jesus is the atoning one. He makes us at one with God. On a good standing with God. Friends with him. Jesus then is God's love for us to make us his friends. We can trust him. We can trust him with our very lives. Now and forever. And as such we can trust him how he wants us to live here and now. This then is the relationship between Christians and God's rules. Christians don't live by God's rules to be friends with God. They don't do good works to be good with God. They live by God's rules because they are friends with him and they trust that he knows best because of his love for them in Jesus. Uh, Someone helpfully explained it to me uh, this way once. A Christian does good works and obeys God's rules because they know God's love for them in Jesus, which saves them. And so they trust that he knows best how to live. As we read in the Bible, uh, as we read in the Bible er- earlier, talking about those who sought to do God's rules to be saved, since they didn't know the righteousness of uh, God and sought to establish their own, they sought to be right with God by their own good works. They, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. So what is God's righteousness? Righteousness. What's the way that God sees people being right with him? It's not doing the right things. It's not being a good person. It's what the Bible says here. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Jesus Christ is the end goal of all of God's law. He's He not only obeyed all God's rules perfectly, he died in the place of all those who didn't so that anyone who believes in him is right with God, is is righteous. That's what the Bible talks about, being right with God, and a good relationship with him is righteous. Moses wrote down God's rules in the Ten Commandments and all the rest, but to be right with God it's not actually to obey the Ten Commandments. It's not to be a good person. It's to believe in Jesus. As the Bible goes on to say, Moses... He writes the uh, uh, this about the righteousness that is by the law, the Ten Commandments and all that. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. See, out of love for the whole world, God sent Jesus to suffer and die and rise again so that by trusting his love for us in this, we're saved. And it's because Jesus, it's because Christians know God's saving love and trust him that they then look to love him back by doing what he wants, by living by his rules, convinced that he actually knows what's best for the people that he made and the people that he saved, which boils down to the rule of love which the Bible tells Christians to follow, as we read earlier, as Assy read for us. Uh, Follow God's example, we're told. This is to Christians. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Good works, then, for Christians, right, are always to be acts of love. They're not ways to get into God's good books. They are in response to being in his good book by virtue of his love for us in Jesus. Good works are always acts of love out of love for the God who loves them. Out of love for the God who loves them, they'll love others like he's loved them in Jesus. Which is actually to know true freedom. To love others as God has loved us in Jesus. That's to be truly free. Because it fulfills what true freedom is. It's humble and it's dignifying. Dignifying not only to Christians who believe, but dignifying to all people as loving them can only be. Now, some might say, well, okay, uh, there's some Christian rules that I think are pretty good, like, like love your neighbour as yourself, like do not steal, do not lie. But there are some other rules, Christian rules, particularly around sex, uh, rules about who I should and shouldn't be attracted to or be in a sexual relationship with. So how do we respond to that? What might be a good response uh, to people that have that kind of pause when it comes to those Christian rules? Firstly about uh, who people should or shouldn't be attracted to. Uh, it's interesting to note the uh, research on sexual orientation by the psychology professor uh, Lisa Diamond. She's a Uh, a lesbian activist herself. And what she's actually found is that bisexuality is far more widespread than anyone has realised. She draws on a uh, uh, 2002 national survey of family growth and she she notes that that large percentages of self-identifying lesbians report having fantasised about sex with men. Uh, The same with gay men fantasising about sex with a woman. But also a large percentage of heterosexual men and women uh, also have and are noted to have homosexual fantasies. Uh, This is all the more complicated, she says, by the apparent fact that uh, people's attractions change over time. And so after years of research and study, uh, Dr Diamond has noted the trickiness of using Firm categories like gay or straight for anyone, simply on the basis of their sexual desire. So in some sense, sexual attraction uh, is beside the point, as it seems to be less fixed than popularly thought. Which shouldn't really surprise Christians, uh, as the Bible says that people's hearts and people's desires are like shifting sands. What's more at issue is what people do with those sexual attractions. And what sexual relationships they engage in? And people then objecting that they should just be able to go with whatever feelings of love take them. How might Christianity respond to this? Well, first up, uh, given what we've touched on already, all Christians are duty-bound to love people. To love them as Christ has loved us. To love them regardless of their sexual orientation or convictions or relationships. and, And be prepared to lay down our lives for them. Uh, to lay down our prejudices, to lay down our preferences and our fears, and to accept them and care for them. That's that's the first if, and that's crucial. That's big. Second, God's love in Jesus, it's for everyone. Uh, Christians are no less in need of God's forgiveness for their sexual brokenness than anyone else. There's no us and them, you know, the good heterosexual monogamous and the bad LGBTQIA plus polyamorous. Uh, there's only... The broken all of us. We're all broken, whether we've been in orgies or simply thought about having sex with someone other than our spouse at any time. We're all outlaws. And we're all in need of God's gift of forgiveness. Forgiveness freely given in Jesus to all who receive it. Uh, And thirdly then, in the light of that, we can't skirt around what the Bible says. God is clear about the proper place for human sexual activity, and that, that's between a man and a woman in marriage. Any other sexual activity outside of that, it's not what God wants. But it's important to, know, to see that it's not just because God's a killjoy, it's because he's made us, he's designed us a certain way, and he loves us all, and he knows what's best for us all. To step outside of his design for sexual intimacy, then it's, it's only going to damage us. What's more, it's actually to miss out on what's best for us. As uh, Tim Keller says, it's like when uh, the owner's manual comes with a car and it says, change the oil so many thousand miles, at so many thousand ma- uh, miles, it's not busy work. Uh, it's saying that's how the car was designed. If you violate that, you're actually hurting the car. But the opposite is also true. By, by going along with the owner's manual, by sticking to God's design, we cut with the, the grain of the universe. And human life and flourishing is more likely there. Uh, particularly as we personally know and trust the designer. Know and trust him to be the true lover of our soul and so happily obey his rules, not because we have to, but out of love for him. And it's with this that Christianity promises true freedom. It's a bit like when uh, Megs, my wife, and I first started going out. I, I lived in Chatswood and she lived in Coogee. That means anything to you. They're on opposite sides of the, of the city. Uh, and I used to get up at stupid o'clock in the morning, <coughs> drive to her place in Coogee, pick her up, take us both to the gym in Randwick, uh, where we'd do a session. Then I'd take her home for her to get in time for her to get ready for work. And then I'd drive to my workplace in Camperdown uh, to get there by 8.30 to start work. And then in the evening, we'd talk for hours on the phone until late into the night. And, th- and then the next morning, we'd do it all over again. It was exhausting. Uh, I mean, it's exhausting thinking about it now. But at the time, it felt like nothing. My life changed quite significantly as I sacrificed sleep, time, energy, money for Megs. I gave up a lot for her. (laughs) But not because I had to. It's because I wanted to. Because I was in love with her. And I wanted to please her. Now that's how it started. But as we've come into 22 years of being married, uh, the buzz of first love has most definitely worn off. Uh, but I've come to realise more and more, often through stuffing up, that that, that first impulse of seeking to please Meg's, of sacri- sacrificing myself, of constraining my freedom to do whatever I want for the good of what Meg is good for Meg's, and Meg's doing likewise for me has meant that there's a greater sense of freedom in our relationship. A freedom of knowing that we've got each other's back. A freedom born of the rule of love. And this is a little bit what uh, God's promises is like. What God promises us all with him, but much, much better. Because unlike any of us with Jesus, God literally sacrificed himself for us. So that we might know without a doubt his love for us. And to want to please him and then to love him back. By happily obeying him and following the rule of love. This in turn is to be like God. And to enjoy what it means to actually be truly free. See, true freedom, it's not a life without rules. A life where we get to decide what is right and wrong. A life where we get to do whatever we want, whenever we want. True freedom is is actually constrained freedom, constrained by humility, constrained by our choices, constrained by our nature, but ultimately constrained by our trust in a God who loves us to death and beyond through Jesus, such that we want to please him and obey his rule of love. And it's here that Christianity offers true freedom. So I'm going to pray that we would know that. And that that would be something that we could communicate uh, to those uh, around about us that are inquiring after the hope that we have. So let's talk to God. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the freedom that we have in Jesus. The freedom that you promise. The freedom that only you can promise. That in your love for us, you have demonstrated Uh, your great trustworthiness, that we can trust you. We can trust you with our lives and trust that you know what is best. Please help us, as those who know uh, this love, uh, to be secure and sure and confident in our relationship with you as we love you not out of duty but because we want to please you and love you. And help us as we chat to our non-Christian friends and for any of those amongst us now or listening online who are exploring you and wondering at why Christianity might seem to have so many rules that you would be working to reveal how the rule of love works and how your love for them uh, can demonstrate that you are trustworthy, and that your ways then are the best ways. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.